Welcome to Political Talk, a podcast about China and international relations and politics. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Thomas Finger about China. We, let's get straight into our question. Meng Guangzhou, and I was wondering, though Canada has not formally extradited her to the United States and the case is still ongoing, what do you believe the concrete response would be from China if the extradition were to happen? I don't think it's it's easy to predict that. Um, it'll depend on how the extradition procedure plays out. My understanding from uh, what has been reported about the criminal complaint, the indictment, um, makes me think she will be extradited. Mm-hmm. to the United States. The U.S. has tried to make clear to China that this is a criminal case, not a uh, maneuver in the mm-hmm. trade dispute. Uh, China has reacted against Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the um, detaining of Canadian citizens in in China because presumably China thinks it has greater leverage against, excuse me, against uh, Canada than the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are bigger issues than the personality involved. And Huawei is a um, mm-hmm. flagship um, company that uh, where we are in addressing the trade issues that are real issues in um, uh, U.S.-China relationship, uh, where uh, we are with respect to North Korea, um, larger international situation, I think will shape Beijing's response. Really? That uh, I don't think this, they're spring-loaded to do something in particular. I don't. Uh, they'll want to avoid doing something that is counterproductive, that hurts China. Of course. Worse than um, it hurts the United States. <laughs> uh, whether they detain an American for some purpose. Um, possible, but they've detained several Chinese Americans um, mm-hmm. that, uh, and clearly that further sours the uh, environment, mm-hmm. um, uh, that uh, the Xinjiang detentions uh, of, of Uyghurs, there are many things going on that uh, sully China's image. And as the economy slows, as the global economy slows and the repercussions for China, uh, that causes uncertainty, which is a short step to potential instability that worries the leadership about uh, legitimacy issues (laughs) and demonstrations. It probably worries them the other way around. 
that nationalistic young people will take to social media or the streets demanding action because of among um, extradition to the United States and the government is not going to be want to be in that position. Mm-hmm. So then we will have the prospect of the government cracking down on Chinese citizens engaged in what we would regard as legitimate expression of um, political views, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's directed at at the United States. So this is a volatile or potentially volatile and therefore problematic issue for the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Are they thinking about it? Yes. Uh, are they spring-loaded to do retaliatory stuff? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, I was very sort of perplexed by the reaction China had to the detention because from an outsider's perspective, it seemed that it would be that they were trying to gain sort of hostage leverage, which, because this is going through a court system, which is sort of independent from the executive, that seems, that would, that would seem to be ineffective. Does that, is that potentially to, in response, is that potentially directed towards the domestic audience? And they're trying to show that we're taking action and trying to sort of, like relax the domestic tensions, or is that a belief that their actions in, for instance, uh, sentencing the Canadian drug smuggler to death and detaining the two others, do they believe they'll actually gain them leverage? No, it's a good question. I think a part of it is mirror imaging, that um, courts in China are subordinate to the party. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of separation of powers, mm-hmm. um, an independent judiciary mm-hmm. uh, has a certain uh, does not compute mm-hmm. uh, uh, character, and China interacts uh, around the world, and there are there are countries um, that uh, subordinate the court that do not have an independent rule of law, independent judiciary. So I think a portion of it is um, in mirror imaging. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be a bigger issue um, than the criminal uh, charge for us, and therefore the Canadians ought to see hierarchy of value and, and do something. Yeah. Uh, part of it is a quid pro quo, instrumental, transactional mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll trade one of yours for one of ours, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a mentality. I think you're question uh, is also um, indicative of a real possibility. They're playing to a domestic audience. Mm -hmm. Um, Having made a big deal about the detention of a Chinese citizen, uh, having gradually accepted responsibility for Chinese who are outside of the United States uh, as they do business and resident kind of around the world. that has made it, if not impossible, certainly very difficult for China to maintain is uh, we don't interfere in your internal affairs, that that you run your country the way you want to run your country. Um, When you're taking our people hostage, when you are imposing illegal taxes, when you are cutting off the electricity to 
uh, factories that the government can't not care mm -hmm. um, uh, about it. And it's trying to come to terms mm -hmm. with that and figure out ways to do it. Yeah. Um, a follow-up question to that, and this is more focused on the Canadian side of this. Obviously, earlier this week, the Cana Canadian ambassador to China was asked to resign by Trudeau. What was the, like, does this demonstrate a, was this more, was this potentially a demonstration that the previous policy of the Trudeau administration, which was not soft, but more cooperative with China as opposed to the Tories, is that changing at all? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about, about Canadian um, politics and how this is playing out to give a, a confident answer at all. But to me, it's at least possible that asking him to resign is intended as a softer version of recalling him. You recall the ambassador if you are unhappy with the conduct of the country to which the ambassador is posted. Oh. Um, as a sign of displeasure, we're not even going to be represented. Mm -hmm. um, depending on how quickly uh, they refill that position, this may be this may be a uh, thinly disguised recall mm -hmm. uh, that is attempted to make the point to China without having it be mm -hmm. a, an in-your-face. <laughs> I never even considered that. This is more of a curiosity question for me personally, but why was Huawei even conducting business in Iran? Um, like, because uh, that's sort of what the uh, charges were. Like, there's obviously IT th uh, IP theft mm -hmm. involved as well. But was Iran really that much of a revenue stream for Huawei? Or was it more of a showing that we don't care about the U.S.'s foreign policy position? I, I think it is, you know, this, this is a big global company. Um, uh, aggressively, and I don't mean that pejoratively, um, uh, attempting to enter as many markets as possible to uh, get key contracts that will give them an advantage for years, if not decades, mm -hmm. in markets. Iran's a big country. It's a pivotal country in uh, the Middle East. Uh, China has a long history of friendship with Iran. The Shah's second best friend was China. Um, and they found it easier to re recover from his fall than the great Satan or the little Satan um, have. Um, so there's a part of that. If you're targeting big markets, it mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, uh, a judgment or misjudgment about uh, whether the existing hostility that the United States has displayed or skepticism about Huawei, I mean, it's bad. 
Are we going to make it worse? Probably not. Let's get some money out of it. Uh, I mean, I can imagine that kind of... Uh, I don't think they did it in order to go at it in a way to be provocative to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, that I th- think they saw themselves in competition with uh, with European companies. Mm-hmm. Ericsson and Nokia. Um, this is more of a de- like U.S.-centric question, but you worked in the Bush administration, right? Mm-hmm. Both Bush administrations. Wow. The, the 41 and 43. So... Obviously, in recent years, there's been sort of across the political spectrum, a shift towards, like sh- a shift against China, like Democrats and Republicans. Would you say that a similar action would have been taken under Obama, which was slight, who was slightly more passive, or even under Bush, forty three? I think that. Uh, the actions we're watching play out under Donald Trump, uh, the modalities would be different, but the issues are there. There are severe issues that were postponed by Clinton, uh, by Bush, and by Obama, um, and in the hope that the Chinese would change their behavior, uh, or they didn't want a distraction from Obama's case, economic recovery, Bush's case from Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. um, Clinton's case uh, from the things that he yeah. uh, was uh, dealing with in terms of uh, the, Balk- the Baltics, uh, Balkans mm-hmm. uh, and Africa, uh, that uh, there's only so many things yeah. that uh, an administration can do. A key difference uh, was the business community, American business community, which has been the strongest advocate of stability and continuity in U.S.-China policy for decades, um, that had, you know, funds politics, that's who pays for uh, candidates in large part. and after every election, whoever won, they said, you know, that campaign rhetoric was fine, but this is about money, it's about <laughs> business, uh, and knock it off. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm exaggerating a yeah. little bit, but not, mu- not much. Yeah. Uh, about five years ago, they lost patience with the Chinese. The Chinese have been promising, the Chinese have been failing to honor contractual agreements, treaty commitments. Um, companies that had wanted the U.S. government to stay out. We can work this. Um, mm-hmm. We can work this. We don't want to um, complicate our relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because the Chinese didn't do the things they promised, in part because Chinese policy became even more problematic. Uh, mm-hmm. The demands for technology transfer, mm-hmm. theft of intellectual property, and, and the like. That companies uh, switched. And they mm-hmm. said, we don't want to be the heavy here, U.S. government, you take the heat and yeah. solve these problems, get on it. Um, and that you know, big player in U.S. domestic politics, the, and the issues are real, mm-hmm. uh, and the losses, uh, estimated losses from theft of intellectual property like exceed the volume of, or the value of um, legitimate trade. So this is a non-trivial set of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And would it have been handled differently with a different administration? Well, almost certainly. <laughs> um, uh, but would the issues have been ignored? I don't think they could have been. Mm -hmm. So I think you sort of answered my next question in regards to the business community. But if there was this hope in the previous administrations that China will liberalize, like that's a hope which I think many, like multiple people in the intellectual community also believed. When Xi Jinping took power, who someone who was so sort of clearly after he took power, trying to sort of like deviate from Deng Xiaoping's like policy of like wait, be patient, and later on, and once you are strengthened, then take action. When you have someone take power who's much in the opposite and much more willing to challenge the United States, why didn't the Obama administration, Obama administration take sort of more aggressive action? Like, obviously, perhaps not a trade war, but like something beyond the TPP. Well, TPP was a pretty important move, not, mm -hmm. not of course. as an anti-China move, but as an integrated Northeast Asia mm -hmm. and liberalized uh, the rules and strengthen the rules of trade and environmental protection, labor protection, and, and the like. But part part of it is again you have to have the business community with you. Uh, it should have been, in my view, should have been done um, in cooperation with our allies, the Europeans, the Japanese, the South Koreans. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and some of the Latin Americans have the same concerns, the same complaints. Mm -hmm. um, so putting together um, uh, a, a coalition to work it uh, would have been possible. That, that's not what um, President Trump decided to do. Uh, with the um, economic problems that Obama faced after the uh, collapse of 2008 uh, and the slow recovery, uh, doing things that would have the very predictable raise costs mm -hmm. uh, for American consumers, make American exports more expensive mm -hmm. uh, or reduce the volume, mm -hmm. uh, expend the political capital necessary to put together a coalition wherever, no, what are you going to do in return? <laughs> yeah. That, that um, uh, I don't think it's a matter of pacifism so much as it is the he prioritized what he wanted to do, mm -hmm. what he thought he needed to do and what he thought he could do mm -hmm. in the time available. One can criticize his prioritization mm -hmm. and uh, choices, but not the fact that you have to make a choice. <laughs> you, it's simply not possible to yeah. do everything at once. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that... So, in let's 
talk now let's shift to the TPP with the new TPP led by Japan do you think do you think it will be able to like to some extent maybe not as much when the US was there but to some extent counteract the China uh, the China bloc which is sort of includes a more illiberal countries I don't care uh, the, I mean, I, there is no China block uh, that, that um, I know the idea of a, a illiberal labor exploiting environmental damaging group of countries that is out there as an alternative uh, model to me it's just silly because it's not fact based um, that the the TPP 11 mm-hmm. um uh, well, the TPP before that is a response to the failure of the WTO Doha run to, to after what, 13 years or whatever it was, to ever take the next step of reform because of opposition from a relatively small number of developing countries, India being the mm-hmm. principal uh, one in this. And clearly the U.S. preference, I think the preference for uh, most of the developed world would be global standards, global maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the more standards you have, the harder it is to do things. Yeah. Um, uh, but that wasn't going to happen. I mean, it just proved impossible. Mm-hmm. And instead of flailing the dead horse, the developed world um, uh, decided on a second best alternative, which was regional, big regional. Yeah. And a TPP proceeding in parallel with TTIP, um, the Transatlantic Trade and Investment mm-hmm. Partnership Agreement, where NAFTA, or the organization formerly known as NAFTA, <laughs> uh, Canada, U.S., and Mexico, was the hinge. Mm-hmm. So NAFTA wasn't going to agree to stuff with the Europeans that it wouldn't do with Asians. It wasn't yeah. going to agree with Asians and stuff. Because otherwise, how the hell you look east and do one thing and west and do the other? Yeah. So that, you know, everybody understood that gave a coherence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that coherence applied to about 80% of trade. Yeah. Uh, in there. So it was kind of a backdoor way of getting global of standards. Sort of, by, sort of bypassing the yeah. WTO. And the U.S. was more interested because of greater prospect of moving with the EU. Uh, when TPP started, it wasn't a U.S. initiative, uh, uh, but it was small countries mm-hmm. that amounted to eight, 5% of U.S. trade. Mm-hmm. We don't have time for this, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the enormous amount of effort has to go into a, a trade agreement. Yeah. When Abe decided, for his own domestic reasons, mm-hmm. um, to use international pressure to bring about what he judged to be necessary reforms in Japan, the U.S. said, hello, <laughs> now we're interested because we had failed for two decades to get that kind of an agreement with Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, here was a way to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the U.S. was engaged. Because of the size and the importance of the U.S. market, you get other countries willing um, to make 
the changes for like Vietnam is a, a prime one. Yeah. Uh, difficult, painful, meaningful, um, uh, structural and policy changes in order to be a part of that market. Mm-hmm. That with the U.S. out, some of the provisions that the U.S. had insisted yeah. on are not in there. Um, does that make it a less desirable, uh, less in a little bit? But it's it's still a big market, and mm-hmm. to give those countries increased access to Japan is you know, that's the third biggest economy yeah. in the world. This is a non-trivial. Um, can a successor to Mr. Trump bring the U.S. into it? Yeah, it won't be as simple as going back to this mm-hmm. situation at the time he pulled out because things don't stay the same and yeah. lessons will be learned and additional things will need to be added. But I think that's what's likely to happen. That's the direction um, events are likely to go. They're not likely to go in the direction of um, a China-centered, exclude the United States, lower standards. Okay. Um, uh, and if Cambodia and Laos are not in uh, a multilateral uh, trading agreement go <laughs> yeah uh, uh, too, too bad for them but I yeah. mean it's not it's not uh, uh, a difference that uh, seems to me requires standing on our head uh, yeah. in, in order to uh, uh, block it from that yeah. who cares um uh, Access to the U.S. market is a whole lot more important than our access to their market. Just that simple. Yeah. Um, So I just wanted to clarify, when I asked the question, I didn't mean to imply that, like, there's a large block. And I think you answered my question with your answer, but I was more curious with the fact that, like, countries like India and, like, Cambodia and Laos, along with China, weren't joining part, uh, weren't part of the TPP. Was that, like, was there any, was there any sort of threat to it? Was there, in a, was there sort of, were they going to become a block? And I think you answered my question. Well, I mean, they didn't ask to join. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the participation in the negotiations, that is my understanding here, uh, the four countries that put this proposal together became the gatekeepers. As countries joined the negotiations and agreements were reached, others could ask to join. The basic requirement to join was, in doing so, you accepted all of the agreements that had been reached up to the point at which you joined. They're not reopening negotiations. But unless you were a member of the negotiations, you didn't know what had been agreed. Yeah. Uh, there was a certain pig in a poke yeah. um, uh, aspect, which applied to us too. Because mm-hmm. uh, when we came later, I mean, not very much had been <laughs> agreed, agreed to yeah. at, at, at that point. But um, there was no structural prohibition. Mm-hmm. And the U.S., Japan were, were not the gatekeepers mm-hmm. um, uh, to this that uh, Xi Jinping had asked Obama about joining TPP at the Sunnylands uh, summit and got a, you know, be up to you <laughs> to, to, uh, 
to join. I actually think it would have been pretty easy for the Chinese, probably easier for the Chinese than for the Japanese to bring their economy into compliance. But it would mean they'd actually have to yeah. obey the rules. But could you explain all that? Because that, that sounds really interesting. I didn't think that. Well, the, the Japanese market was still pretty closed. The protecting of agricultural goods in ways that the Chinese is not sectors mm -hmm. that are were not as open to uh, services mm -hmm. um, uh, from the developed mm -hmm. world. With it, the Chinese hadn't implemented agreements that they had made. Yeah, but they'd agreed to do it. Mm -hmm. And at, again, you got to go back in time five years. The, the private sector in China was more important than it is now. The Chinese policy has gone backwards really? um, in terms of um, constraining capital, the private sector, favored mm -hmm. uh, state-owned enterprises, mm -hmm. more monopolistic, agopolistic, mm -hmm. exclude the foreigners, yeah. that, that the, the trend is, is going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in there. But at the point that joining the negotiations mm -hmm. conceivably uh, could have happened, um, I, I think the U.S. would have welcomed it um, in the same way that you know, NAFTA. NAFTA was at least in part intended to lock in reforms in Mexico mm -hmm. uh, that Mexico had made for its own reasons. Um, uh, that rolled back stuff from the Mexican Revolution in the mm -hmm. teens and twenties. Um, that the uh, U.S. wanted to lock them in, put it in an international treaty, so it's harder to change mm -hmm. than from one president to another in yeah. a five-year term in the Mexican government. Yeah, um, uh, a very deliberate part of the U.S. calculus, and it did lock them in. Mm -hmm. uh, it locked them, in. and the Mexicans have, have benefited, as have we. Yeah. So, regarding SOEs, this I found very interesting when I learned about this. Xi Jinping actually was, a, was I believe, for reforming SOEs before he became the president. Why do you think he ended up not reforming them and, in fact, strengthening them? them? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know what... Xi Jinping believed or believes, mm -hmm. um, and I'm a little bit baffled by the people that uh, say that they understand his thinking. The Chinese, in my observation, have been f fighting about the future direction of the country, the economy, the nature of the economy, reform, opening. Mm -hmm. Uh, political change. The next set of changes that they really do need to make are hard. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is a more rule of law uh, system, which gets at the fundamental character of the party state. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't have a party state and have rule of law with an independent judiciary. You can't yeah, get there from yeah. here. Um, and the Inability to agree clearly on a, what is the direction that policy should take. Uh, unwillingness to run the risks of an, opening a Pandora's box of political 
uh, reform, particularly as the economy is slowing. Mm-hmm. When they're not just perceived, they were losing the, con- the cushion mm-hmm. of high rates of growth yeah. to make, make changes. It become, became riskier. Fear because of their own history of inner party debates spilling out into the public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Maoist mobilized the masses of people uh, for my preferred yeah. way of doing it, um, which they saw as hazardous to party state, hazardous to fast growth, driving out foreign investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, disrupting ability to, to deliver on contracts which would uh, uh, have domino uh, light effect. Uh, I think they picked Xi Jinping um, to make decisions, but to end the constipation yeah. and the paralysis because yeah. some stuff had to be decided. Uh, uh, picked him because he didn't have clear, strong Mm-hmm. Therefore, was thought to be malleable. Yeah, yeah. He may still be malleable um, uh, in there. So you know, I my interaction with Chinese leaders over a bunch of years, these are not a bunch of pansies and <laughs> wilting violets. So these are tough-minded guys. You make it mm-hmm. to the top of the system. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got backbone, uh, <laughs> and you've got interest. Um, uh, that uh, I, I think they expect him to succeed. Whatever their criteria for success are beyond keep the party in power, keep the, the economy growing, um, uh, preserve the security mm-hmm. of the country, maintain internal stability. All of those are points of vulnerability mm-hmm. uh, in, in this. What his own preferences are, I don't think matter that much. They matter at the mark. Leaders matter. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's got the capacity, even if he has the desire, to run this gigantic society economy out of his back pocket. Um, that uh, he can't get too far away from the consensus du jour. Uh, he can't ignore negative feedback out of the international in, in mm-hmm. environment, in my judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the choice comes between preserving party dominance and preserving Xi Jinping as the leader, <laughs> he's expendable. So you just described a Xi Jinping, which is far, which is nothing like the one which I've been expo- uh, which I've heard about, like, and mm-hmm. which media talks about, because he's described as like the strongest leader since Mao, he, and how he's really centralized centralized power in China. Do you think that? So one thing which I found very interesting, which I learned about, were the IP appellate courts in China, which I, which were meant to sort of, which I believe so far have sided around 90% of the time with foreign companies when IP uh, cases have gone, gone before them. If I recall, that was instituted by Xi Jinping, 
Can you describe why uh, you think such changes were perhaps more... And, like, even, for instance, the, the fact that he is, like, he sort of t- moved away from the more passive po- previous policies. Why do you still think that he's not as strong as it's portrayed? Um, I think he's still operating within the structures that got put in place. It's always attributed to Dung, but it's by uh, Mao's successors, the veteran cadre <coughs> that, yeah. that came back. And it's a, it's a group of people who put a highest priority on um, uh, jump-starting uh, China's modernization, achieving sustained growth, restoring legitimacy for the party. Um, enhancing China's international prestige and security, all of that, and doing what was necessary to do it. Uh, putting in place structures that, among other things, were intended to deal with what the Chinese called the bad emperor problem. So no more Mao's. Yeah. No more capacity to run away with the system than... Uh, a related aspect of it was stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to structure this in a way that is easy to get incremental change reform, hard to make fundamental change, mm-hmm. hard to uh, just go off in an entirely different direction as happened for the first 30 years of the PRC. Um, uh, she is still operating within that system because they're afraid mm-hmm. to move away from it because they don't know what to move toward. Yeah. And is the collective leadership as obvious or even as strong or fundamental as it was in the previous administration? It's certainly less obvious. It may also be less strong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the party that runs China, not Xi Jinping. Um, uh, and decisions that roll back dungest reforms, um, strengthen the role of the state in the economy, strengthen the role of the party in the state, that kind of thing. These are party stuff. This is not ad hominem. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the whim of Xi Jinping uh, to to do this, uh, so that I think there are s- divisions certainly um, uh, within the party as to how much is the appropriate one. Mm-hmm. But basically, I think if you've made it near the top of the party, you think it's a good idea to keep the party in power. Yeah, the overlap of the political and economic elite. Mm-hmm. In China, those who have benefited from reform, reform has been great, has been enough, thank you very much, because if further reform just jeopardizes my position, it's probably not smart. Mm-hmm. And they're in a political position to block it yeah. or shape it. Um, and that's slowed it down over, over a decade or stopped some of it dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that that this, the things that stop dead as you get backlash, as you get economic slowdown, if you're not willing to go forward, there's a, we got to do something. <laughs> um, uh, we can't just appear to be 
powerless and let's try and strengthen state enterprise. Mm -hmm. Let's try and um, uh, provide more money to local governments by allowing them to uh, borrow. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever the solution that has a sort of a go backwards character to it, it's because they don't want to go forward yeah. uh, on it, but they got to do something mm -hmm. in, in this. And I think that's what's operating. And she has to operate within those broad parameters. Mm -hmm. Does he make a difference as to where they move within? Sure, undoubtedly. Uh, there's an awful lot of opaqueness about how he does it. Mm -hmm. Who gets to him? Who's he listened to? Because there seems to be a disconnect between the formal structures and organizational forms and procedures within the government, less clear about within the party. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you want to do something in China, how do you get to the right people? Yeah. And uh, with uncertainty about what is or isn't permissible, mm -hmm. there's a paralysis. Mm -hmm. um, so you get entrepreneurs who won't take chances. Um, you get bureaucrats who wait until they've got clear guidance because they're not going to experiment. They're not going to run risks. They're not going to subject themselves to criticism for corrupt behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if you actually want to change, where do you go? How do you do it? Yeah. Uh, who's going to give you a decision? Wow. So, I also was wondering, like, China's recently come out with this, it's going to come out with this stimulus plan. Have they already come out with it? Well, I think, I don't think they've got something that they call a stimulus plan, but they have partially reversed themselves with respect to lending. Okay. Um, um, uh, less emphasis on not expanding debt, mm -hmm. local government debt, national debt. China's, yeah. China's debt is 50% higher than the U.S. debt as a percentage. It's 300% of GDP. And we're about 200% of GDP. Mm -hmm. uh, most people say at some point, that's a problem. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a real problem. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, um, perils of unemployment... Mm -hmm. the need to meet rising expectations mm -hmm. uh, of the 65-70% of the population that has known nothing <coughs> steady growth to mm -hmm. continuous expansion of opportunity yeah. <coughs> and, uh, expect health care yeah. they expect the government to do something who's going to pay for grandma mm -hmm. uh, that uh, two generations of one child per family, you don't have a whole lot of kids that yeah. are going to pay for grandma who's now living to 85 and has dementia. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, um, is it the workplace? Is it the local government? Is mm -hmm. it some national thing? Do you expect the family to do this? Mm -hmm. um, uh, family saying, what do you want me to do? Um, um, pay for the inflated housing prices, pay for health care for myself, education mm -hmm. for my kids, 
Um, you pay for grandma mm -hmm. uh, in, in this stuff. Um, if you tax more uh, to make it through the state system, you constrain the shift to a consumer-based economy. There's lots and lots of hard, hard choices on the table right now. So with all these domestic sort of pressures and also with the sort of relaxing of lending policy, do you think that that will affect the foreign investment strategy which they've been pursuing with the One Belt, One Road? And do you think that the United States should be even cons should be concerned about the investments they're doing in Africa and the massive amount of soft soft power which they've accumulated. Do you think, or do you think that it's beneficial because the U.S. wasn't investing at all, and now you do have someone to sort of take the reins in those countries? I'm delighted that the Chinese are investing in developing countries, but I don't think. Uh, extending large numbers of loans equates to having soft power. It, so it, it equates to mm -hmm. enormous vulnerability. Because mm -hmm. frankly, most of these things are not going to be repaid. Um, uh, that we do have some experience. The Europeans have some experience. Yeah. That, that when you make non-economic loans to non-economically viable and often corrupt mm -hmm. Uh, folks, they don't pay them back. They say, we'd like to pay you, but we actually have to pay for education for our own. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to be voted out of office unless I put in place a health care project uh, a program here. And um, if you want your railroad, take it back. You can <laughs> have it. Uh, pick up your highway and take it home. It's up yeah. to you. Uh, that, uh, the Chinese have backed way off. Uh, the image of Chinese granting grant aid uh, is not very much of it. Mm -hmm. Most of it's loans. Yeah. Some of these are productive loans. We should be, we, whole developed world, should be working where it makes sense, mm -hmm. where you can leverage what the Chinese are doing with what the Europeans are doing, what we want to do so that you get a port and a highway and power and the education system that supports... Yeah something sensible, we ought to be doing that. Um, we shouldn't, oh, God, the Chinese have a massive aid problem. No, we need one too. We did that in the foreign aid wars of the Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Uh, we did dollar diplomacy 120 years ago. It didn't work for us. We did mostly in Latin America. Uh, the Japanese did yen diplomacy in the 80s. It didn't work for them either. Um, uh, so, I mean, exactly why do you think it's going to work with the Chinese uh, doing this? Uh, that, that it's a highly uncoordinated effort on the part of the Chinese. So the burden is on the recipient countries to figure out, can we afford all of this stuff? Which of these projects is viable? Mm -hmm. Big infrastructure projects are extraordinarily complex. Mm -hmm. What we know from experience around the world is two things. Almost all of them cost more than planned, mm -hmm. and almost all of them take longer um, mm -hmm. uh, than anticipated in, in doing this. So that, that the Chinese have somehow bought themselves a great deal of soft power 
I think they bought themselves a great deal of vulnerability mm -hmm. uh, in this. And, you know, the ones that make sense, good for them. Uh, infrastructure is good. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Infrastructure facilitates economies of scale, interaction among partners that otherwise could. End of the day, infrastructure's got to be built by governments because the private sector doesn't do that because everybody is a free rider uh, yeah. uh, uh, on it. That, uh, uh, and if the Chinese are willing to do this, and to the extent the Japanese and the Indians and some of the Belt and Road areas are uh, doing complementary, good, mm -hmm. good. But we shouldn't approach this as a geological, uh, geopolitical Okay. challenge. Um, uh, there's a reason that most of this stuff did not get built before now. <laughs> and that's usually somebody did the back of the envelope and said, there's no way to pay for that. So <clears throat> when you talked about uh, the soft power and perhaps it not working out, what I was referring to is the fact that more African, like more African college students are going to China to for college than the US. And I was also wondering, do you think that there's do you think that there's a national security aspect to, for like in this? For like with Sri uh, with China like seizing the port in like Sri Lanka when they couldn't pay the uh pay back the loans and the Djibouti situation where they were able to get a the base in uh, Djibouti and also are considering uh, gaining access to the port there as well, with, uh, which the U.S. relies on. Do you think that there's a national security aspect to this? I don't think, I don't think it's automatic at all. I mean, I think with uh, Sri Lanka, there is a chicken come home to roost, you know, correct a corrupt um, uh, president, corrupt deals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think the Chinese entered into this with a blueprint for um, uh, taking over a port that probably never should have been built. Yeah. Colombo was big enough yeah. to handle the trade for Sri Lanka. Um, had the Chinese own it, they'll probably make Chinese ships stop there and stuff. But Okay, they now own a white elephant um, uh, in there. Can they use it for naval purposes? Probably. Um, will China have increasing blue water capacity? Of course. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got global interests and uh, a need to protect their interests and investments and people around the world. Mm -hmm. um, why is this a bigger problem than the joint anti-piracy operations that the Chinese do with us? off the Horn of Africa, and they do it with us, not with the United Nations, they do it with the United States, mm -hmm. for whatever reason they don't want to do it under the United Nations. That uh, it's not inherently uh, competitive rivalry mm -hmm. and stuff, that uh, I, I think we ought to dramatically scale back on the number of military installations we have yeah. around the world. Um, the idea we need to build more because the Chinese have one. I mean, it was a sort of a, <laughs> why in the world would we do that? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that 
is just stupid knee-jerk bipolar world kind of thinking mm -hmm. uh, that I think is entirely misplaced. Mm -hmm. So. China, another one of those sort of long-term policies which China was pursuing was China, 20, <clears throat> China 2025. They have been, like, reports that they're thinking about drawing it back due to pressure from the United States. Do you, do you think that, first of all, do you think there's any probability that they'll do it, or do you think that the fact that they've put all the support in their national champions... Alibaba, Baidu, etc. Do you think that like that sort of has locked them in, or do you think that I like domestic like due to the domestic audience, and just in the fact that they've made the investments already? Well, the the, the China twenty twenty five, which is actually built on the Germany, um, uh, long range planning. Some of those things will probably happen. Most of them won't. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's nice to be ambitious, um, mm -hmm. but it's part of a larger uh, back-to-the-future approach of seeking autarky, mm -hmm. uh, reduced interdependence mm -hmm. on the global yeah. system. Yeah. Uh, there is a sort of a how in the world do you isolate Chinese science and engineering <laughs> from global science and technology? If you corner the market on some of these things, why in the hell do you think anybody would cooperate with you? Yeah. Um, that, okay, you've locked in the China market at the exclusion of the much bigger global market. Um, so most of it will work. I mean, it's aspirational mm -hmm. uh, uh, on here. It was, in my view, in incredibly foolish for the U.S. administration to make this an issue and a big deal because it's so easy for the Chinese to do exactly what it says. Oh, you don't like 2025? We're not doing it anymore. <laughs> of course they're doing it. Yeah. Of course they're doing it. But they say, no, okay, we met your condition. What are you going to give us? <laughs> so what are, what are we going to pay? Because they just gave us a bag full of air. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was a stupid um, okay. uh, position for the U.S. to take. The issue here, I mean, the, uh, the important issue is uh, opening of sectors mm -hmm. and, yeah. and industries mm -hmm. uh, to foreign competition. Mm -hmm. And should we continue the uh, asymmetrical arrangements, mm -hmm. the U.S. is far more open than China is to it, it's a reciprocity. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're open exactly to the extent that you're open to us uh, on here, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think, a smarter way yeah. to have approached uh, this. Uh, you know, China's a big country. Um, it's got a lot of smart people, mm -hmm. assuming brains are more or less evenly distributed mm -hmm. um, uh, across uh, um, populations. And they'll be good at some of this stuff. Not so good at others. Mm -hmm. uh, they benefited enormously from interaction with the global community. Mm -hmm. Will the actual people involved in doing this want to pull back and say, I don't want to collaborate with my South Korean partner anymore? Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> probably not. Mm -hmm. Will the private sector want to restrict itself to the inputs into state-owned 
<coughs> champions, uh, maybe. Uh, will the Chinese figure out a way to make monopolies innovate? Nobody else has, but maybe they will. Uh, 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 I mean, there is a sort of a, a burden of proof on those to think the Chinese can make models and approaches that have not worked anywhere else mm -hmm. be successful. So when you went, you were in China for the past few months, right? I was in China for the fall, and then I was back for a few days the uh, uh, week before last. Okay. Generally, what impression... First, where, like, were you, like, where were you based? Like, where were you in Beijing most of the time? I was time? in Beijing. I was at the Stanford Center at Peking University. Okay. So, did you feel, like, first, this is a very flaky question, but did you get the impression that they were worried about, like, they were truly worried about a long-term slowdown in their economy, and how much it, and what are, and what, how much is the sort of middle-income trap, which has, like, happened to other countries on the minds of the Chinese leaders, and what, uh, what policies, I, and how is that being reflected in their policies? Yeah, this will have to be the last one I challenge, for, uh, I, I tackle, because I've got to go to a dinner. Okay. But the, um, it depends on what Chinese, where they are, what they do, um, uh, what they worry about in, in this. That uh, the official position is, they're not worried about the a middle income trap. They're going to zo zoom right through this. Mm -hmm. But maybe they will. Only one country ever has, and that's Singapore. Um, scale's pretty, yeah, pretty different um, than it is in China. Um, that maybe they'll make it uh, quickly, but again, probably not. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what difference does that make beyond sort of bragging rights? Well, it's less important, or it's important to the extent to which it fails to satisfy expectations, demands, requirements of mm -hmm. an increasingly educated, urban, sophisticated mm -hmm. uh, population on it. Uh, if Chinese remain patient, that's different than if young people, don't tell me about what you did for grandma, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Um, uh, on it. And I, you know, I'm not sure how that will, will turn out. Mm -hmm. That uh, there are expressions uh, of concern about uh, Trump's tariff policies. That the incredible excess capacity in the Chinese system uh, the competitive uh, aspects uh, of the of the the society, the economy, that has lots and lots and lots of enterprises operating really at the margin. Mm -hmm. They don't make much money, mm -hmm. um, and small decreases in sales because of global slowdown because mm -hmm. of automation somewhere else, because of movements towards 
just in time advanced manufacturing technologies as opposed to workshop of the world kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, uh, tariffs increasing the cost, fuel going up and shipping. You know, they're vulnerable from multiple directions. Okay. And they worry about both malign intent by the United States and partners of the United States and the competence of their own system mm -hmm. to manage um, these challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so worrying about what might happen becomes a bigger deal than responding to what actually does mm -hmm. happening. And, you know, preemptive kind of things to position or yeah. uh, using relationships to get uh, a loan or to get uh, local government look the other way on some kind of safety environmental kind of thing. Yeah. All of that stuff <coughs> almost certainly is going on. Yeah. I mean, again, these are not stupid people um, pl plodding along. They're aware of their situation, what jeopardizes it, where the opportunities are, mm -hmm. and they're doing things. And some of the things they do is not fully consistent with what the government and the party would like them to be doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, can I ask you one? I quit. This is a rather large question, but it doesn't need to be a large answer. There have been some people who have said that the U.S.'s approach to the China problem through tariffs is misplaced because the because the pro the trade deficit is not a true threat. Do you think that it's a valid approach to use tariffs to negotiate other issues such as IP theft and forced intellectual property? I think it could be. I don't think it's being used that way. I mean, tariffs um, aimed at changing the trade deficit. I think is foolish. Of course, uh, that, but. Use of tariffs, uh, um, uh, commodities that uh, uh, embody stolen IP. Mm -hmm. the, uh, we're not going to ban them from the United States for some period of time, six months, a year, because we don't want to disrupt um, you know, Walmart purchases for <laughs> Christmas season, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. So you got a period of time. We're going to let. We're going to. We're going to slap heavy tariffs on them. Um, uh, we're going to impose tariffs on, in the meantime, or some interim, uh, any commodity from a country that sends products that embody stone. Mm -hmm. Anything is not coming in here. Um, uh, and uh, we've given you six months a year, whatever it is, yeah. uh, to start paying royalties to get that stuff out of it. Otherwise, the door is closed. I mean, I think you, you can be smart yeah. uh, and differentiating in, in, in this as opposed to, you know, all aluminum uh, gets yeah. terrifying. Yeah, uh, to me, this is... Uh, uh, I don't have a paintbrush, but I have, but I have a hammer. Video. Uh, okay. Excuse me one second. Of course, of course. Hi, Andy. Thank you for God, he's an hour earlier or hour later than we are. Uh, I'm impressed by how much uh, work you've done on these subjects, how much you know about uh, uh, China, China, and 